back to them. But uh, there, there's this diverse group of people coming together. So he first preaches in the synagogues, the Jewish people, and then he preaches to the Gentiles in the hall of Trephineus. And some way he brought those two groups of people together. And I was trying to think, uh, fundamentally the church exists. PCF, we exist, but the church of Jesus exists to take the culture of heaven and inject it on earth. Right? So, so think about it like this. We, we like to think about the millennial as the thing to come. Ah, oh, no, the millennial is here. Jesus has entered, the, Jesus entered this world. It's like D-Day. Jesus entered this world, and he died in this world so that we then take the culture of heaven into this world. And, and don't, don't think about, like, the culture of heaven being in heaven. I don't know what heaven is going to be like. I know one thing. It's not going to be an eternal hymn sing, because I don't want to go if it's that. But anyway... Um, so, so, but the culture of heaven is, is where we are fully human, uh, fully whole. Not fully human, fully whole. The way that God created us, and we'll be fully whole. But we'll also be able to overcome the artificial distinctions that the world places on each other. Now, we live in a time when uh, racial issues and cultural, uh, racial, gender and those kinds of issues are, are at their uh, loudest. Uh, we hear it. And, and, but, but think about this. The goal of the devil, the goal of the devil, the goal of the world, and the goal of our flesh is to divide. It's to divide. It's to divide people. It's to break apart marriages. It's to divide. The goal of Jesus and his kingdom is to bring together. Now, how do a group of people, let's just take us, because it's us we're talking together here. How do you bring together and become unified? How can there be unity in a group of people like this? Now, I happen to know a few of your stories, but okay, so I am not very interested in becoming a farmer. I had to milk cows when I was a kid growing up by hand. Chris loves farming. Um, I speak Pennsylvania Dutch fluently. Rochelle doesn't. Um, I have an Amish background. Narita doesn't, by the way. Not directly. Longer ago. Oh, you know, you know all the differences. Uh, there are Russian Mennonites here, or Old Colony, which is it? Russian or Old Colony? Bullers. Old Colony. Russian kind of, so, and we're Swiss. And by the way, they didn't get along very well back then, but, you know, so. Uh, and by the way, oh, there's also Yoder. Oh, and there's Mount Hopers here. Mount Hopers and people from Charm and New Bedford never got along, although they got married. They get married. Okay, so, so do you understand, like, it's, it's easy for us to look at these things, and we, we kind of capitalize on, and, and that is the world system. It capitalizes on differences and divides. It categorizes people like that. Now, when we get to uh, the book of Revelation, uh, by the way, you should read the book of Revelation and never read it trying to figure out when Jesus is going to come back. Let's just assume that Jesus has been here and he's going to come back someday. We don't have to figure out when that is, but he's going to. And someday we get to be with him, whether that's here on earth or in heaven or wherever that'll be. We get to be with him. That will be enough. But 
when John writes Revelations, he gets these glimpses into the throne room of heaven where he sees the large gatherings of people. And one of the ways that in, John, in uh, Revelation 7 he describes, he said, I saw, in, I saw in the, at the throne, I beheld a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And I've been, I've been thinking about that passage. I've been thinking about something. I've been thinking about how God is a unifier. God brings people together rather than divide them. And, and, uh, and we'll, we'll get to what, how, what we can do in that too. But uh, think about the Tower of Babel. So the Tower of Babel or Babel, you can pronounce it both ways. So, so man is unified, has the same language, the same culture. And they, they build an idol that they're going to worship, and they say, look at us. Boy, I, we, can, we can accomplish a lot. We have MacBooks, and no, they didn't. Uh, anyway, um, Google Translate. Uh, uh, anyway, they didn't need it. One language. And then God comes along and says, I can't. Okay, that is going to go against. And, and, and so he, he breaks apart their languages. When you look into the throne room of heaven, and, 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 and heaven is described. By the way, uh, uh, I have to say this. This is so fascinating. Because in Acts... When Peter speaks, when Peter... Okay, so, so Jesus dies at the end of the Gospels. Jesus dies, and this small group, maybe less than 70 people, are scared. They're broken. They, they don't know where their Jesus is, has went, their God has went. He said he was the son of uh, the king of, of heaven and earth, but he's gone. And then he, the, they experience the resurrection, and, then, and Jesus tells them, you wait till the Holy Spirit falls on you. And then when the Holy Spirit falls on them, they become somebody they never were before. They become this bold, engaging group of people. And when Peter gets up and preaches, it is the opposite of the Tower of Babel. Did you ever think about that? He preaches, and everyone can understand him. Like this one man is speaking in all our languages. It's like God is bringing together what has been broken apart by sin in the past. And then when we, look, when we look into heaven and see at the throne, it doesn't say some of them were saying that in English. Some of them were saying that in Dutch. Some of them were saying that in Russian. It says they were all saying it with one voice. And that word, those two words, one voice, mean in the same language with the same unison and the same emphasis. So someday we're going to be able to communicate with no division. That's so beautiful. That's the power of God. So... so so as we look at this passage, um, the, the, at the center of this passage, and I, I will put it up here, this is the ESV, follow along with me as I read. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called circumcision, which is, was, was made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, Strangers to the covenant of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two. So making peace so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. 
And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into the dwelling place of, for God by the Spirit. Now, every person there understood something that may be a little bit more difficult for us to understand. In their world, uh, both Jews, the Jews saw uh, two classes of people, Jews and Gentiles. The Greeks saw two classes of people. Paul addresses it in Romans. He says uh, uh, either Greeks or barbarians. And anyone who didn't speak Greek was barbaric. So you're barbarians. By the way, you really are. You're North German, Goths, Franks, barbaric, wore horns on your heads and did all this other stuff, okay, um, in that world. So, so, so people tended to see themselves and everyone else out there. And in some way, we do the same. We do the same. We tend to look at people and evaluate them by skin color, by languages. And we tend to think, at least North Americans tend to think, that we're just a little bit more of an advanced civilization than the rest of the world. Uh, in today's world, they call it Coca-Colonization rather than colonization. We just take our, we just use our economic wealth and uh, force it upon the rest of the world, which, by the way, we were going to have to answer for someday. There is only one thing we're called to take to the world, the gospel. Now, I, I think I sit among a group of people who are open and are okay with diversity, and I appreciate that. Although, I'm just going to say we are also all human enough that it's easy for us to imbibe the devil's spirit in our world that wants to create differences, wants to create lines that break us apart. So in this passage, I've broken this passage up into three pieces. Uh, the first one is the division or the problem in verses 11 to 12, and then I'd like to look at the answer to that problem and then the result of the answer to that problem. So the problem is found in, in verses 11 and 12. Now, I started saying about what people understood in that world. Please uh, put the picture up, Mike. Uh, Mike uh, will put up a picture here, and uh, you can dim the lights up here a little bit so they can see. This is a picture of Herod's temple. Now, when, uh, when Paul... Um, do I do that up here? There, there we go. When Paul talks about the dividing wall of hostility... Both groups of people that he was addressing understood it. Okay, the Jewish religion was set up in such a way that the inner court, that, that big building in the inner part, that is where the Holy of Holies is. And only the priests could go into that part. The outside court, okay, so then you see a higher wall that kind of surrounds that. Men could go inside, purified Jewish men could go inside that part. Only the priests could go in the first part, and then only the high priest could go into the into the final last part where the whole Ark of the Covenant was. This portion right here, this uh, larger block with higher walls around it, is known as the Court of the Women. Women could go to that place, 
but there was a sign on that arch court uh, gate right in the middle that said, no women beyond this point. If you notice this wall that goes all the way around it, this is about a four and a half foot wall. And, uh, and this is, uh, this on, uh, on every entrance to that gate, to that wall, is, was a small sign that said, uh, uh, enter, uh, do not proceed any further for fear of death. Now the temple police were charged with either killing any Gentiles. So this is, this is the court of the Gentiles. So Gentiles could not come inside this portion. This was reserved for only Jews, and, the, and then the, the, the wall that divided the rest is, is what divided the women from the men and, and all that. So, so it, at the temple police, who came after Jesus, by the way, were, were charged with guarding this area, and, and they would actually have sometimes ask people, are you circumcised or are you not? And if they, if they were Gentiles, they, could, they were allowed to put people to death for coming inside that place. Now, in the temple of Artemis in Ephesus is a similar thing. Only the true believers of Artemis could go inside a certain point. This is a four and a half foot wall. Gentiles could see over the wall. They could see the glory of the temple. But they could never enter in. And, and it's, in that, it's in that world that Paul says, notice he says in, uh, in the first few verses here, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcised by what is called the circumcision, you, you, you were called uncircumcised, and, and that is, uh, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at, time, at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the politics of Israel. You had no right inside those gates. And uh, strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Okay? Jews thought that God resided in that holy of holies. Now, by this time, his glory had gone from the temple. And so Gentiles could never get to God. And uh, the word that Paul uses here is a root word that we get atheists from. Having no God. You had no access to God. You couldn't get to God. And then Paul comes along and says, yeah, yeah, that's, that was true. That was very true. But, so, so that's the problem. All these barriers. Um, and, and the, by the way, the word remember, which he uses twice... In, in both verse 11 and verse 12, the word remember means to recollect. So bring back to memory the fact that this is who you were. And by the way, the way that the language that Paul uses, he kind of lumps everybody into this group. And he said, you weren't really true Jews. So you were outside that wall even though you were inside the wall. Um, and and it, is, it is true that one of the things that most clearly brings the, the, the word the thing that most clearly brings a joy and a delight in our salvation is when we understand where we were and needed to be saved from. It is easy for us who grew up good. Now, I, I wasn't very good growing up, and I know some of the rest of you weren't either. But you grew up quite good in a, in a culture that puts a lot of emphasis on behavior. And so you know how to behave on the surface. But inside, you were a roiling mess of hatred, bitterness, and anger. And fear and brokenness. Now, how do I know this? Because of me. So I don't, I'm not picking on any of you individually. But, but we were divided. And Jesus is about bringing that together. So the problem is that these people were divided. We were divided from the, from the kingdom of God. And I note that the kingdom of God is always about bringing things together. 
And then he says, so remember that you were, you were separated. You had to stay outside the courtyard. You couldn't get close to the Holy of Holies where God was. And then, in verse, in verse 12, these are beautiful verses, 13, sorry. But now in Christ Jesus, you were sometimes afar off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So what did they do? In, inside the, um, uh, the court of the women, they would offer sacrifices. And inside that is where the most holy sacrifices were held. And, and suddenly, the sacrifice of Jesus. Note, it, it's very careful. He's very careful to say, you have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So the blood of Christ, the place of sacrifice, has broken down these walls and opened up a way that you can enter in and you can come into the presence of God. That is so beautiful. Now, uh, in Christ Jesus, it says, in Christ, and remember uh, a long time ago, first Sunday in January, we looked at the first part of this passage and, and he uses in four times. And remember that in when he uses the term in Christ, the focus is, is, uh, is position. So he's focusing on our position. Not movement, but position. Our place. So in our place in Christ, you were, some, you were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. This was a wall of tremendous hostility. Sometimes there were, sometimes Jews would flee inside that and taunt Gentiles on the other side and call them dogs and all kinds of stuff. What a play, thing to do in church, right? But, but there was a lot of animosity, a lot of hostility. And in our world today, there is so much hostility. There's so much hatred. And Jesus says, or Paul says here, he is our peace who has made us both one. By the way, the term both here, I, I've been thinking about this. He used it three times. Used it in verse 14, he has made us both one. He uses it again in verse 16, he might reconcile us both to God in one body. And then again in verse 18, for through him we both. Who is the both? Interestingly enough, both means uh, both. Both of them. It has the idea of two. And, and it, it's both Jew and Gentile. And he speaks very personally. It's very real to Paul. He has made us, he has brought us near. What does it mean? Um, by the way, this, this word brought near is about our position and not about movement. It's about who we are. We are brought into. We are made nigh. We're brought near. And he's pointing to the... We were brought inside the wall. So the high priest had, could have done this. Jesus, only God could do this. He could come out here and say, come on inside. Come on in. Come on in. And I love that picture. So, so, and then he said, um, he has made us both one. Now what does that really mean for us today? What does that mean for us at PCF today? There are a lot of things that could divide us. And I've named some of them. I think that one of the things that we those of us who have grown up in more conservative Amish and Mennonite circles, we've tended to think that unity comes when we all look alike. When we dress alike, practice things alike. And, and let me be, that if our unity is built on practice, it, it will fall. 
it will fall. It will fall apart. We will fight. If you look at the church fights in history, many of them are built around that. They're trying to find unity in something that there cannot be unity in. Our practice was never meant to be unifying. Our practice was meant to be a reflection of our love for Jesus. What unifies us is the fact that Jesus broke down the walls. And we can have that hope. Jesus is the one great unifier in the world. Now again, I'm not talking about excusing sin or anything like that. We should be able to say that's sinful when something is sinful. In our modern world, one of the issues that we face is gender issues. And it's okay for us to say those things are wrong, but church should be the safest place for those people to come to to express their sinfulness. Because in church, they can find the person who can bring healing to those broken places that makes them act out like that. So he's made us both one. We're suddenly something we never were before. We're one. And there is something, I think, mystical, beautiful, whatever term you want to use, that happens when we make commitments to each other and we are one. We have each other's back. We agree with each We may not agree with each other. My wife and I, um, it, it, the same is true in marriage. Both are made one. It's the same language as what he's talking about here. And then he says he has broken down the dividing wall. How was this done? No, he says several things. He says, in his flesh. So, and, and I've been thinking, he, well, this is a beautiful play on words. He says in verse 16, And he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. How do you kill hate? How do you kill hate? Killing hostility. Paul, it's very specific. It means to kill hate. How do you kill hate? What is the one surefire way to kill hate? Love. <laughs> it's so simple. I, I've been thinking, I, I read this article by scientists who study people who hate. And so what they did is they took people and set them down. And um, they, they put MRIs, they ran MRIs while they, they, they looked at people. They had these people look at people who they didn't feel any particular feelings towards. So it couldn't be my wife. You know, I have f- romantic feelings of love for her. Or you all even. I, I have feelings for you. Feelings of love and, and, and giving and, and wanting to receive from you. But, so, so I, I'd have to sit down with, uh, I couldn't sit down with Donald Trump or Nancy Pelosi because I, I have feelings. And, uh, so, so it almost has to be someone you don't know. So, so you look at that person, they ran an MRI and, and saw how that person's brain reacted when he looked at that person. And then they put a person in front of them that they did not like or hate it. Same thing. And uh, they watched their MRI. They found some interesting things. They discovered that, that the areas of the person's brain fired um, where aggression springs from. So the first instinct in people was to... <clears throat> Get up. Um, interestingly, uh, they also discovered that the same area fires that is also fires when you feel romantic love. So love and hate are not that far apart. It's just fascinating. But what they discovered that is even more powerful is there is a part of your brain that shuts down when you hate. 
And it is the part that is connected to self-awareness and laughter. The part of you that lets you know who you are. That part of you, when you extensively hate someone, shuts down. And you begin to become more out of touch with yourself. Isn't that powerful? And so Paul says, you know what Jesus wants to do? He wants to kill that hate by loving you. And we want to kill that hate by loving each other. And so when we have people that we feel, let's say, uh, let's say we are particularly, uh, we should live in a big city, by the way, so we have more ethnic diversity. But anyway, we're all kind of white Germans but, um, and a few Russians mixed in. But, um, oh, Russians and Germans. Russians and Germans don't like each other. Okay, so how come you guys like the Bullers? They're Russian, man. They were German to begin No, they were Dutch to begin with. And the Dutch and the German don't always have knowledge. So do you, you know, it's like the world capitalizes on those long-standing anthropological issues. We, and the church is called to actually bring love into the world in a way that, that disarms, that makes people more self-aware of themselves. And that's what, when you kill the hostility, killing the hostility, when that happens, we, we, we help people become more self-aware. And then he says we, he also did it by abolishing uh, the, the, in verse 15, by abolishing the law of the commandments. Again, this is saying that the first century Jews used the Torah, used the law to divide. And Paul says, that's not right. That's not the right use of the law, and it's not the law. So Jesus breaks down those dividing walls, and he brings peace, this, and he brings access. I, I was so struck by this passage in verse 13, Uh, Sorry, verse 17. He came and he preached peace. He spoke peace. He spoke words of peace. There is something really powerful when you speak words of affirmation and strength into other people's lives and gratefulness. And Jesus, it says, but Jesus spoke words of peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. Spoke words of peace. So the problem is all the divisions. The answer is not in a system or a way or even a passage of verses. It is in a person, Jesus Christ. Jesus breaks down the walls that separate us. And by the way, the gospel of peace is accessible. We, have, we can get into it. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Where did the Father dwell in the Jewish world? In the Holy of Holies. We have access through Jesus. We have one spirit and together we access him. And because of that, oh, I have to say this yet. This is so, again, I'm so struck by this. Uh, in, in verse uh, 15, it, the end of verse 15, in, that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace. One new man in the place of two. Uh, I was thinking about this, and I thought, well, okay, new. Uh, and that I discovered what I discovered is there are two words used for new in the New Testament, uh, primarily used for new. One of them is neos, which means something new as it relates to time. So the latest, uh, the best way I know to describe it is, is it iPhone 10 now? It's all built on iPhone. The first one. 
I have an 8. I refuse to get a 10 because they think I should get a 10, and I'm not going to fuck. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm a reactionary sometimes to that. But, okay, so, so it's, that's a new, but that's not what this is talking about. What th- this word new is the Greek word kinos, and kinos means the first of something. So it's the first mobile phone. Not just the first iPhone, but the first mobile phone. It also means the first car ever made. So it's not just the newest model of the Ford um, Ranger. It is, the, it is the first car ever made. And so when Jesus is, uh, when Paul is talking, is, uh, look at the, uh, verse 15. He, that he might create in himself one new man that never was in the place of two. So the new man that never was is us. And together, when we, when we come together and we speak words of peace and we encourage each other and we love each other in spite of our differences, well, we, are, we are showing the world what the one new man looks like. And that is powerful. So the result of that, he says, is that we are no longer aliens, but fellow citizens. And he uses three metaphors. We're fellow citizens, we're members, and we're a building. And, and again, I, I think that means belonging, purpose, and meaning. Belonging, purpose, and worth. Whatever terms you... We find that. We find our truest belonging, our truest purpose, our truest worth in being that one new man. And that doesn't mean individual, by the way. It means us. It means the collective body of people. So it's Kendrick and Chris and Narita and Brent. Boy, I'm getting names. And Jake. Where's Jake? I'm learning names. Jenna. It's, all, it's, it's those brought together as believers. When those people make a commitment to, as an adult to follow Jesus, they are brought into a body in God's providence, in providence, Christian fellowship. We're brought together. And in that, we, we, we actually build something that has never been built before. We build something beautiful. It is the temple of God. And it's so beautiful. It's so powerful. So what does this mean for us today? Um, by the way, uh, Menno Simon's favorite passage of Scripture was, For other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, Jesus Christ. Menno Simons wouldn't make a good Mennonite because he said there is, not, uh, there is, uh, there is only one foundation. It's not Menno. It's Jesus. By the way, I found something interesting in reading that passage. That's in 1 Corinthians 3. One of the passages that I was taught uh, growing up was um, I shouldn't smoke and uh, uh, drink and do those things because why? Because they desecrated what? But you are the temple of the living God, right? Okay? Now, I don't think you should smoke. Don't go home now and say the preacher said I'm allowed to do these. That there, there are other pieces of Scripture. But that, that passage that we so often heard is not about what we take, what kind of food we take into ourselves. You know what that passage, that passage is in 1 Corinthians. It's in 1 Corinthians 3, right after where it says, you are, uh, there is one foundation, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, do, not, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? And so if we are God, and, and he's not talking about you individually, he's talking about us together. He's saying, he's talking about the disunity that was happening in the, Corinth, in the church at Corinth. And he's saying, okay, so that disunity destroys the temple. You guys are fighting over dumb stuff. It's destroying the temple. And so he's saying, so don't destroy the temple. Don't do that. Don't take that stuff into the temple. 
Now, I have plenty of other passages we can talk about if you want to smoke. But anyway. Um, but but do, you, do you get what he's saying? He's saying the foundation is Jesus, it's built, and the temple is us. And so how we live together is of utmost importance. And how we live together is about love and kindness. And I know that we have walked a difficult journey, and there are sometimes things that we can't figure out. And there's, there's probably people in the world that I, I would kind of end up saying, you know, I... I I love them. They're not going. I, God is the final judge on them, but I'm not going to go to church with them because I can't live very well myself when I go to church. That's my own problem without casting judgment on other people. But what we can do looking forward is to say we will embrace love and joy. And when we, when we have differences, we're going to honestly try to hear each other and say, ah, maybe there is a different perspective here, one that I don't know. Because when we think we have the final perspective on everything, we are the true foundation. And I can guarantee you, I, you don't want to build on me. We want to build on Jesus. And so we hear each other, and we respect each other, and we speak love and peace and joy and gratitude into each other's lives. Because in doing that, we put stones on top of that true foundation, and we build this temple that has no walls that divide the temple. Paul ends this passage. Uh, it doesn't end the passage, but in, in, in the, he goes on then in, in, in verse 3, and he has this beautiful prayer at the end of verse 3. And for this reason, he says, in verse 14 of Ephesians 3, and I'm going to pray this prayer. This is one of the prayers that I often pray over my own life and over our lives or have. And uh, I would like to just begin a practice of praying this together. So in your copies of the scriptures, please turn to Ephesians 3. And uh, you can sometimes pray with your eyes open. At least try it when you drive. Um, But in this case, I want you to kind of follow along. Whatever translation you have. And I'm going to pray it as a prayer to the Lord for us here together. For this reason for the reasons we just talked about, for the fact that Jesus has broken down that middle wall of partition, the fact that we can be unified around something much bigger than practice or ourselves. For this reason, we bow our knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant us to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in our inner being, so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith, that we, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that we might be filled with the fullness of God. Now unto him who is able to do far more abundantly than we all ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Please stand. Tim, could we have the first verse of uh, the hymn that you sang? Uh, oh, the foundation hymn you, you led. 300 and... My hope is built on nothing less. First, just the first verse of that. It's built on...